There's a note there from a very official organization. Dear Mr. Shepard, we are conducting a serious study of the field of humor. And uh, since uh, you have uh, written many... Uh, yes, uh, it says here, uh, what was your earliest influence as a humorist? Uh, <laughs> what do you expect me to do? You, you expect me to tell you all my trade secrets? Are you going to expect me to tell you that I learned to be a humorist by reading the uh, labels on Castoria bottles? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Or listening to Jack Armstrong? Oh, I'll tell you. No, that's a good question that I shouldn't even really, uh, you know, uh, humor is one of those things. Let me put it this way, friends. Humor is one of those things uh, very akin to love. Uh, if you examine it too closely, it goes away. Uh, <laughs> you like that, huh? That wasn't bad, was it? Uh, and if you, and then if you turn around and write a book about it, it doesn't exist at all. In fact, if you write the second book, you're convinced ultimately that it not only doesn't exist, but it never did exist. And you're right. Anybody that uh, has a uh, full-fledged uh, panel, including Margaret Mead, on humor, forget it. They ain't funny. That's called Channel 13-ism. They ain't funny. I believe in the early scribes, the merchants of humor began to... Oh, oh, deliver me. You ever have a feeling you're living in a giant slingshot and somebody's pulling a rubber band back and they're about to let it go? Huh? Would you please, if you will, just to move there... That's it. Uh, over to the left there. Hit the button. And once again, the crowd assembles. The candidate is ready. The bullhorn is turned on. Incidentally, this uh, little piece we're doing right now is a salute to any and all candidates and any and all platforms. Any and all pre-campaign speeches that are about to be given. about what he's going to do about the economy and unemployment. against his old friend. There you go. The one who got him where he was 
And <laughs> you like that, huh? All right, thank you, friends. It's still a little of the old fire, right? Oh yes, uh, I, uh, I I can't help but though remember that uh, question. I have to continue to think about that. What was the earliest influence on me as a as a humorist, as a comic type? Well, I'll tell you. No, no, seriously, I think the problem that uh, I think one of the reasons why. There aren't so many very, really good, funny comics around. I mean, really funny comics. I mean, there are guys with a few little clever sticks, but I mean really funny comics around. It's because most comics probably got started uh, in the comic field by reading comic books. Well, yeah, really, most kids read comic books. I didn't. <laughs> it's a terrible thing. <laughs> oh, well, now wait. Now, just a minute now. Uh, I, uh, I, I, that is not to say that I did not read comics, but comic books always bored the, uh, daylights out of me. Now, uh, that shows, of course, a glandular deficiency, I must admit, uh, because everybody I knew was always frantically, uh, trading comic books. I mean, uh, I'd say for every smart person, there's 10,000 Joel Siegel. So, uh, <laughs> you know, who trade comic books. And, uh, but I, uh, to me, comic book was, uh, you know, just uh, uh, at the age of nine, I thought they were stupid. And I still think they're stupid. So, I, you know, I was never into the comic books. However, you see, anybody who learns humor by reading comic books and then goes on, you know, to the nightclub circuit is going to be doing nothing but sticks and hitting people with pies. And uh, that's not exactly the, uh, the way Mark Twain came about. And uh, nor, uh, you know, some of the really goodies. So uh, I'll tell you what happened to me. Now, you really want to know early influences. Now, you want to know what I was doing at the time and how I... Well, I think, I think uh, first of all, I think most comic humor is grim. Uh, not grim. It's rudimentary and often slapstick, period. Uh, you're listening to one of the very few guys in the history of the Western world who will concede he sees very little in the Marx Brothers. Now, uh that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. However, I see very much in Laurel and Hardy. Laurel and Hardy made me mad uh, because uh, their films always seemed to me to come too rarely when I was a kid, but there was always a constant supply of uh, terrible Terry-tuned cartoons. <laughs> you know, and I was, oh, wow. So, uh, you know, I was never into that bag, but I'll tell you this. Uh, uh, Laurel and Hardy always made me laugh. They make me laugh now. And, uh, you know, a few good lines people in, in, a, in a Marx Brothers film. And a few, uh, you know, but once you've seen the Groucho's Walk, you've seen Groucho's Walk. Uh, and uh, that's fine. I mean, it may be beloved to you, but it never, never made me laugh after about the first eight, nine milliseconds. Uh, <laughs> Although there were great, uh, you know, great scenes that I recall occasionally, like, uh, like for example, the one where, uh, the, what, what uh, picture was there? A scene where these guys were crouched in a, in a cabin, and uh, the Marx Brothers, of course, they were crouched in this cabin, and a, and a shell, an artillery shell, went right through one window and right out the other. Boom! It just went, shoo, woo, it went right through. <laughs> Well, they were in a war, you see, and uh, what? Uh, obviously, they were in a war. What? What film were they in a war in? Okay. 
Well, I'll give you another clue. Groucho was the dictator of the country that was at war. All right. So, <laughs> now, all right, now, 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 you talk, though, about what, what real influences are. I'll tell you this. My, my real influences were never the movies. That's another thing. You know, everybody's always influenced by movies. I was never the movie influence. I was influenced by books. And uh, I was about uh, roughly 10 or 11 when uh, we had this library. And by the way, uh, being a member of the library, it's always a big thing for me as a kid. I remember, I remember one time, one of the great uh, early moments of my early life was uh, we had this teacher, and uh, she was a third grade teacher, see, so she uh, decided uh, there's a Warren G. Harding school, it was a nice spring day, and they took the whole third grade down for a walk. You remember when you used to go for a walk when you were in school and you go off for a walk? And uh, it was spraying in on the birds and singing. And, uh, but we went for a specific walk. We didn't just go for a walk, you know, go out there and look at the birds and the, and the grasshoppers. We went out, uh, the whole crowd, and everybody holds on to everybody else. You know, they had this thing where everybody has to, has to hold on, and everybody's in line alphabetically. And uh, up at the front is, uh, is uh, <laughs> Miss Robinette, and she's leading us down the street. And there were about 35 of us, something like that in the Warren G. Harding School. Where are we being led? We are being led to the library. Now, we're third grade or fourth grade, whatever it was, and we're being led down through this beautiful spring day, and, and she's made arrangements, you see. And we arrive at the library. Now, that's something none of us kids ever really did. We never went to the library but at that age. You know, you don't go there when you're in second grade much, uh, in third grade. But here she was. She took us to the library. And let us right in. And, of course, it's the middle of the afternoon. There's hardly anybody in there. And sitting behind the desk at the library, it had a big U-shaped desk where this lady presided over the library. She had a, she had a bunch of assistants, you know, girl types and stuff, who walked around with these little carts full of books. And, and they had ladders. They'd climb up and put books up at the top shelves and that stuff like that. But she was really the chief of the library, was Mrs. Easter. And uh, yeah, we go in there, and there's Mrs. Easter behind the desk. I never saw Mrs. Easter before. But she had the same kind of cachet as a teacher. You know, she was an official person. And uh, we go in to the lobby of the library, and there are all kinds of posters all over there. And we go finally into the main thing of the library, and all the books, thousands of kids are all in a big, big uh, crowd. And uh, Miss Robinette walks up to Miss Easter, and they, apparently it was all prepared, see. Miss Easter said, oh, they're here. Well, the boys and girls, well, I would want, want to welcome you to the library, and uh, we're going to show you what the library is like today. And so at that point, one of her stooges took over the desk, and she took us around the library and showed us all these books, you see. And, and, and they had, uh, you know, magazines, all kinds of kid magazines and stuff. And, of course, we were in the children's section. See, they take us, they showed us how to use the library, first of all. You, know, you could look up a book. If you wish to read, say, uh, Raggedy Ann and the Camel with the Wrinkled Knees. Now, here's how you look it up, boys and girls. You, uh, you look under Raggedy Ann. Raggedy. You see, uh, the books are listed under the author's name. And do you, any of you know the author of Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy? Well, you know, we're all standing here. Wow, you know, this is really something. And uh, she showed us how to... Oh, do you know the author of Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, any of you? How's that for fame? Here's a guy that created probably... And it was a man, by the way. guy that created probably one of the great uh, all-time classical 
children characters. It's in dolls and so on, and hardly anybody knows the name of him. But uh, she says, if you know the name of the author, I'm not going to tell you, so don't write angrily. Well, you really make me mad because you don't tell us the answer. No. That's up to you to find out. Just get out there and dig. That's what we all got to do, friend. Get, get that spade going a little bit there and start chopping at the dirt, right? So, uh, nevertheless, we all go into the we all go into the library. See, and then she really laid a fantastic surprise on us. What a surprise, boy! Uh, because we all went through the library. See, she took us to the various sections and showed us how to pick a book and showed us uh, that you can come up to the desk and ask somebody, and they will get the book for you, and you can sit at the table and look at it and all that sort of thing. And it was really great because it was air conditioning. It was really an elegant library. It was really nice. And then she said, and now, boys and girls, we have a surprise for you. Mrs. Easter is going to issue to each one of you a library card. See, what had happened was our teacher had sent our names all over there beforehand, you know. And, <laughs> and, and, oh, wow, each one of us got a library card with our name, you know, and the whole thing is was a little yellow card, says library card with your name on it and all that sort of thing. And uh, the, the teacher says, you have to sign it in the back. And so she, everybody, they handed out this, uh, this uh, pen and everybody writes their name on this thing, you know, struggling real hard. And each one of us became a member of the library that day. And, and from them in and on, you know, it was fantastic to be able to go in there and get a book. You just give them this card and they give you a book. And uh, to me, yeah, well, that, to me, that was, you know, that was like, uh, like having, a, having a lifetime pass to go see the Mets or something. Because it was, first of all, not only was it free, but they had all this, these great books. Like uh, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy and the Camel with the Wrinkled Knees which is a book I never tire of reading, even to this day. Because there's not many people I know that admit they've got wrinkled knees. <laughs> now, it's, now, I realize, of course, that this is, a, this is an age of advancing illiteracy. And uh, everywhere, yes, that's true. I mean, let's face it, it is the truth. And, uh, and there's not much you can do about it. And, uh, but nevertheless, I think a, a lot of it has to do with your original introduction to something. You know, I think most, most people are introduced to reading as a thing you have to learn. You know, it's like uh, learning algebra, uh, something like that, you know, so it's, and you have to do it for school. <laughs> but actually, if, uh, if reading is introduced to somebody as a thing that gives infinite pleasure, and it does, there's no question about it, that reading, uh, reading is one of the great uh, uncelebrated human pleasures. And nobody, nobody says much about it. You know, we're always talking about showbiz. You know, everybody cheers showbiz. Thank God for Julie Andrews. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, reading is a, is a lifelong... I can't recall from the time I was about probably 10 when I wasn't always reading a book. In other words, you, there's a book that you're finishing, you're reading. Now, reading a magazine has nothing to do with reading a book. That's a totally different... Experience. So don't say, well, I read TV Guide every month. I never, never miss it. No, no. We're talking about real reading, <laughs> sustained reading. And, and, uh, and I, I can't recall from about the, that time, you see, because what happened then? After, after she, she uh, gave us our cards, you see, this went even further. Miss 
Shields, or rather Miss, Miss uh, Easter, took us around and said, Now, boys and girls, all of you have got your card now. You can all take a book out of the library, but remember, you must return it within two weeks, or you have to pay a fine. We have to pay two pennies a day for every day that you keep the book over the time that it should be kept. And you'll find that it will be marked in the front of the book with this little stamp. And they, they had one of these pencils, you know, with a little stamp on it. They'd go plump, you know, and had a little card in the front, record of uh, taking out. You remember those little, little uh, kind of little slips there with the little dates all the way down? And uh, she says, now, all you have to do is pick out the book that you'd like to read. You can take one this afternoon if you'd like. And just take it around. Well, of course, you know, wow, we... So uh, at that point, I had been really into uh, one of the great uh, uh, early things that really hung me up as a kid, as a reader. You know, as a reader, I couldn't get enough of them. I absolutely could not. Now, <laughs> were the Oz stories, the Oz books, and they had a whole mess of them. You see, we had I only I had only one Oz book, which had been given to me for Christmas like a couple of years before and I had read it like 28 times and it was the only Oz book that I ever saw it was this Oz book it was called The Wizard of Oz well I couldn't believe that they had a whole bunch of them see it never occurred to me that there were others in the series you know as a kid you don't think that way and, and here they had all these Oz books and so I couldn't believe it so I picked out an Oz book and uh, this uh you know, I, I took it to the desk, and she says, all right, you, you, I see now, you see? Guess what I do? I stamp it here and just boom, 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 like that and write something down. Now, she says, you see, you must return the book before May 23rd, and if you keep it after that, and she says, and then make sure that you don't get the book wet or tear the pages because you'll have to pay for damages now, but you can keep the book and read it just as much as you want. Wow, you know. Well, at that point, from that day on, I was an inveterate, a total hung-up customer of the library. I read every Oz book, every Oz book, all the way. And they had about, they must have had uh, 10 of them, maybe 15. Ozma of Oz. Uh, I can, you know, I remember even some of the, the, uh, the uh, what, what was some of the other great titles? The Ozma of Oz, there's one about the pumpkin head. Tick-Tock of Oz, there's another one, that's a rare one. Tick-Tock of Oz, T-I-K-T-O-K, Tick-Tock. And uh, so I, I read every, every Oz book. Well, one day, one day I'm, I'm, I'm coming home with this Oz book. I was about maybe eight or nine or ten, something like that, seeing I got this book. And uh, this kid had been at the library with me, but this kid was older. See, this was an older kid. And, and uh, Johnny Anderson, he's, he's about, uh, oh, he must have been about like 12 or 13, 14, something like that, see. And we're coming home. And he says, why do you read that stuff? I said, what? It's really great, you know. <laughs> oh, he says, listen, he says, I, I've really got some stuff that you should really read. You, you ought to read some something. You want to read something really funny? I says, yeah. He said, well, here, why don't you, why don't you take one of these out? And he shows me this book. Now, this was a real grown-up book. It didn't have pictures in it. See, there's a certain point. That, by the way, one of the great human transitions is made when uh, you move from a book that is 90% pictures 
and you gradually move to a book that becomes 90% words, and then suddenly you're reading a book that has nothing but words. That's a great milestone. And incidentally, many, many human beings don't make that milestone today. I mean, <laughs> you know, as far as they're concerned, the real serious book is People magazine, and it has to have plenty of pictures. Too many words under that picture of Barbara Streisand, and you start, to, you know, having problems with your lips moving and all that when you're in company. So, nevertheless, I, 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 he had this book with no pictures in it. So he says, "Here, take her. He said, why, don't you, why don't you read one of these?" And he had about three of them. He had just taken out. He said, "I read everything this guy's written. He's a fantastic." Well, at, at a certain point in your life, too, you don't think in terms of reading an author. You think in terms of reading a book. You know, a kid doesn't know who writes uh, the Oz stories or care. You know, a kid, he just don't. Your average guy that reads uh, comic books, he doesn't know who writes it or, or who draws it. Even. He can tell you, you know, who draws Wonder Woman. Uh, he doesn't know or care. It's only later on when they start collecting these things. You know, the older people start collecting them, and then they start making a big deal over who does uh, Flash Gordon and stuff. But the kid, he doesn't care, and he just reads the comic book. Well, uh, I, I didn't know who wrote the Oz stories. I just knew that they were called the Oz books. Well, he didn't do that. He says, I read everything by this guy. You know, by, what do you mean by this guy? <laughs> you know, well, this, this, you know, this, this author. So, wow, yeah, that's a whole new idea. So, sure enough, I go back to the library, see, and, and he had, he, he's with me again. There's a whole bunch of these books there. This author had a lot of books. So I took one out. He says, you read this one, see. Well, at this point, I'm, uh, you know, I, I started to, to read this. At first, I didn't quite understand it, but this guy was sort of a hip kid in the neighborhood, you know, and, and he was the one of the kids that you that, uh, uh, you kind of looked up to, see. So I stuck with it, see. So later on, he says, how'd you like it? Oh, it's real good, real good, <laughs> real good. Well, there was something about it, though. I couldn't quite figure out what it was, but there's something that made you keep reading. So anyway, I read two or three of these things in backslid rapidly. I backslid into the Oz stuff, see, for a while. And then I, I found myself now in freshman high school. And I'm sitting in, in, uh, in the library. We had a library, study hall in the library, see. What the heck are you looking for, Lee? Are you trying to look for <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> so we, we, we couldn't figure out what was going on. You know, I'm in this, in this library, see, in this quiet study hall. And I'm bored, you know, a study hall. I was real bored, see, and I didn't have anything to do. So I walked around the, the library, and there's a study hall in the library, school library, so I'm walking around. Hey, hey here's, here's four or five books by this same guy that I read when I, you know, looked at when I was a kid. I thought I read it. I didn't really see. So I take the book, and I casually sit down and say, little did I suspect that in the interim, the... The, let's say the intervening three years, something had happened to my head. <laughs> In other words, I was maturing. You don't know when you're maturing. You know, all of a sudden something makes sense that didn't before. Well, I'm sitting there, seeing, <laughs> and I'm realizing that my whole life work is about to begin. You know, I I, I wonder uh, just how many of us can actually trace our lives back to the point where we began to think about doing what we ultimately really did do in life. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And uh, 
you know, you, you really actually, when you're a kid, you really actually wind up doing what you think you'd like to do when you're a kid. You know, there was a, did you know that at one time I had desires when I was about 10? Because, again, it was that damn library. I was reading these books, see, and every time I'd read a book about something that, that really got to me, you know, really, really scored deep down in my soul, I decided that's what I wanted to do. For example, I read about two or maybe three books that were written by deep sea divers. Now, that's something you just don't... <laughs> yeah, there was a guy named Ellsworth. Did you ever hear the name? Ellsworth had written some books on deep sea diving. And uh, they had. And the, I guess the reason I read them was because they had pictures in the front. Uh, you know, I'd look at a book and there'd be a picture of this guy sitting on the deck of a ship and they're putting this big... Big round hat, and it says, and underneath it, it says, uh, "This was uh, this photo was taken just before uh, the desperate dive on the wreck of the Lusitania, where I almost lost my life, and we discovered twelve billion dollars in treasure, you know, that kind of stuff." And uh, so I read this thing, and wow, boy, I tell you, for a while I couldn't couldn't stop reading about deep sea diving. And then another thing got me. Did you know that at one point there were a whole spate of books written by guys that were. Uh, movie stuntmen, particularly stunt flyers. There was a very famous movie stunt flyer that wrote a series of books on stunt flying. And uh, I took that book out one day in the library, and I read about this, and it had pictures of various stunts he did. It says, me flying uh, a, a fighter plane through a barn, you know, that kind of thing. It shows... <laughs> It shows you know sequential shots. You saw the plane coming, and you see it going, the tail sticking out of the barn, and then you see the big explosion, plane flying out, and uh, it's just uh, one of the most exciting moments in my early career. It's just me leaping out of a dirigible, and uh, you know that kind of stuff. So wow, man! And that's, so I decided what I was going to do was not be a flyer, but a movie stunt flyer, which is you know really something special. I went through that for a while, but. Uh, little did I realize all the while, my true, my true vocation was sneaking up on me. And uh, really sneaking up. I think the, your true vocation often sneaks up on you. Oh, yeah, you know, there isn't a point in a guy's life when he decides he's going to be a Bowery bum. It sneaks up on him. Uh, you know, one, <laughs> one day he finds himself just sitting in the, uh, in the park. You know, everybody else is gone. Uh, to work, He's, you know. Next day, he finds himself for the first time in his life sitting on the curb. You know, everybody's walking by him. Well, then you're on your way. It just sort of sneaks up, right? So, uh, <laughs> as a as a kid, see, I'm, I'm I'm sitting in this library in the study hall. Didn't think I was getting back, huh? I'm sitting in the study hall, and I took this book out of the out of the shelf there, and it was the same author that this guy had told me about. See. And uh, at this time, you know, I was uh, all of us kids and freshmen in high school reading serious books, official books. Uh, we had a, a reading list that included such, you know, such beauties as Wuthering Heights, uh, you know, such unforgettable stuff as Silas Marner, Lady of the Lake, you know, great stuff like that. Uh, you know, oh wow! I think I think one of the reasons why kids hate reading most of them all their lives is the is the stuff that they have to read. Oh, 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 oh. Well, uh, yes, did you ever try to finish a book by Edith Wharton? Now, I thought I, anybody that does that could, could have very well have been in their time a six-day bike racer had they stuck with that, too. But uh, there I am, and I'm not anti-intellectual, but uh, when, you're, when, you're, you know, when you're 14 years old to you suddenly find yourself deep in Henry James, that is heavy going.
the the uh, mire and the muck gets rather deep. So uh, I, I'm sitting there in the library, and it's a hot spring day, just about uh, you know this time of year, and it's uh, the, I could hear the ping ponging of tennis balls out somewhere where somebody's popping a tennis ball around the court out there, and you know it's just kind of great. I'm sitting there. And I start to read this book. Now, it was the same author that had really done nothing to me, you know, weeks, months, years before. And I read this thing, see. At first, I sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it hit me. My God, I could not. Have you ever been so embarrassed by something that hit you when you were sitting in a crowd? I started to laugh in the study hall, and I couldn't stop laughing. I was laughing like like I was out of my mind, and people were looking over. What's what's the matter, you know? And I can't stop laughing. You know, I, I just can't. There was a line in this book that actually got, and I remember the line. You know what it was? The hero of the book was climbing down a drain pipe. Now, will that sound funny when I tell you this? The hero of the book was climbing down a drain pipe, trying to get out of the upper story window of a house that he was spending the weekend uh, in, and he was bored out of his skull, and he's climbing down this this uh, this drain pipe when suddenly below him he sees a police officer who goes, Hoy! Just H-O-Y. Hoy! Hoy there! And it's just a fantastic fear is shot through him. He tried to climb back up the, the, the drain pipe. The rain is coming down. The officer keeps saying, Hoy! Hoy there! And at that point... It just hit me deeply. And who was the character? Bertie Wooster. Bert E. Wooster. Bertie Wooster. And, and the the book was... The book was... Leave it to Jeeves. I tell you, I read that book. I couldn't... I, I, every, every third, fourth line just absolutely cracked me up. And I was about 14 or 15. I just would blow my mind. Well, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed Lead It to Jeeves so much that the next one I read was you remember a book he wrote called A Kid in, uh, that had just got out Smith P S M I T H Leave It to Smith <laughs> and from that time on I was dead and the author of course was P G Woodhouse or Woodhouse if you prefer it. I read everything this guy wrote. Then I started to read Benchley after 1931. Listen, if you think the guy that wrote Jaws, and that's Peter Benchley, you ought to read you, you ought to read the stuff that his grandfather wrote. <laughs> uh, Peter, you know Robert Benchley uh, after 1931, what? The Treasurer's Report. One of his great books. Oh, did you ever hear the Treasurer's Report? Did you ever see that short? He's giving his report. Fantastic. You remember the Benchley shorts? Do you ever see any of those movie shorts? Right. He's up on the blackboard there trying to explain what happened to the money. <laughs> Incidentally, that, that, I think that single piece of humor uh, has so many overtones. As a matter of fact, it, it reminds me of a policy address by the head of the Labor Department sometimes, trying to explain his way out of the fact that everything's falling apart, you know. But it's all going to be okay. <laughs> we have faith. But from that minute on, to me, writing, and as a writer, writing and performing is always directed at being funny. 
In fact, George Age once says the way to get ahead is to keep a straight face. You'll be Norman Mayer. Yeah, this is WOY New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.